Good morning. We are picking up today in Ephesians 6, and we will be reading verses 13 through 20. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. We are close to wrapping up our study of the book of Ephesians, Paul's famous letter to churches around the area of Ephesus, um, roughly 50 AD or so. Fascinating letter. Now, where, you know, he, he really concludes his teachings with the topic of spiritual conflict. And we looked at that last week and we talked about the armor of God, as Paul calls it, last week. Now, surprisingly, you might remember if you were with us, Paul's strategy for spiritual conflict was defensive, right? It was defense. All the equipment listed in that armor of God, well, except for the shoes and the sword, all the equipment is of a protective nature. It's all of a defensive nature. It's all armor. Now, did you wonder last week, or have you wondered, is there any offense in spiritual conflict? So much of this is defense we looked at last week, right? But have you, have you wondered, what is there any offense as we talk about spiritual conflict? Uh, well, yes, there is, and, and that's what we're going to look at today. God has granted the Christian and the church an offensive strategy in spiritual conflict, and it's prayer. No surprise, because Avery mentioned it earlier to the kids. She called it God's super weapon for us, and she was right. It's prayer. Oswald Chambers, in his famous little meditative book, uh, so many of you have probably read it, he says of prayer that prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. So if spiritual conflict is real, and we saw last week that it is, spiritual conflict is real, and if it's real, then we have to do more than approach our prayer life casually. If spiritual conflict is real, we must be more than casual in our approach to prayer. Strategic, perseverant prayer is the church's great offense in spiritual conflict. Prayer that is strategic and persevering in nature is our offense in spiritual war. And so we're going to talk about the tactics 
of prayer, and we're going to talk about the strategy of prayer. We're actually going to talk about prayer's effectiveness in spiritual conflict. So, so that's today, the, the tactics and the strategy and the effectiveness of prayer as God's offense to us. So the tactics of prayer, the, the, the tactics of our prayer offensive as Christians are, I want to talk about two qualities of the tactics. They're subtle and they're persistent. Subtle and persistence, those are our prayer tactics. So the tactics are subtle, meaning they don't look impressive to the rest of the world. The tactics of prayer in spiritual conflict are not sophisticated. I mean, when the apostles were looking for Jesus, they, they, they didn't find him in some like bat cave, you know, pressing buttons. He was, he was off on a mountain in the wilderness praying to his heavenly father by himself. That was Jesus' approach. It doesn't look impressive or, or, or sophisticated, and here it is. If you look at verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us we should be praying at all times. Now, you may remember the ancient Greeks had two words for time, right? They had kairos and chronos. Remember, chronos was like the ticking of the clock, the, the shadow on the sundial. Chronos is chronology. It's minutes, seconds, the order of things in your life and in history. But kairos, to the Greeks, it, it meant a season, an appointed time, the right time. And that's the word that Paul is using when he says, praying at all times. He means pray in all seasons. Pray at every moment of your life. He, don't take it literalistically as though he's saying, pray every second so that you forget what you're supposed to be doing and you forget that the burner on the stove is on and you're trying to write an email. Pray every second. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't ever stop praying. Don't ever neglect a posture of prayer in your walk with Jesus. Praying at all times, he also says, in the spirit. Now that's a fancy mystical word to some Christians, but actually if you simply go back to chapter 5, verse 18, he told us to be filled with the spirit. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Being filled with the Spirit means you are allowing, more than anyone else, and more than anything, you are allowing God's Holy Spirit to guide you, to influence you, and to inspire you in your living, above all other things. Actually, it was Paul who said to the church in Rome, it's the Holy Spirit who intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit within you is making hidden requests to God the Father on your behalf. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. So praying in the Spirit, like living in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit means that our prayers are guided by God's will and not our own. Don't you remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? This is how he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see? Praying at all times in the spirit, and he goes on to say, with supplication. At all times in the spirit with supplication. You know what supplication means? It's to ask for something humbly. It's to ask for something earnestly, not to demand for it. Not to dictate to a person what you should be getting. 
To supplicate is to realize you are in no position to make something happen and you're completely at the mercy of the other person. Praying in supplication is completely different than the way human beings pray left to their own devices. And Jesus made a point of this in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about the way people all over the world pray and you can boil it all down to this. In general, Human beings, when they pray, it's basically an attempt to coerce out of God and out of other people what they want. But spirit-guided prayer, Holy Spirit-guided prayer approaches God in humble urgency, trusting in his will. So praying at all times in the spirit with supplication, very subtle, and not very impressive or sophisticated, right? But these tactics are persistent in the life of Christian prayer, according to Paul. Not only subtle, but persistent. You know this, shock and awe does not win a war. It's impressive on the news, and it scares, it just gives the enemy the willies, tries to break their spirit. But shock and awe doesn't win a war. Persistency wins a war. Perseverance wins wars. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 18, we should be doing all of this, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Keeping alert with all perseverance. And this explains how we are able to pray at all times in the guidance of the Holy Spirit and with humble, urgent supplication. How do we do that at all times? By staying alert. Staying alert, the word there in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it, it meant for a watchman to stand on the ramparts of a city and watch out for enemies. You know, you had the day watch and you had the night watch and, and um, you see in, in Solomon says in Psalm 127, unless God's watching, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's the same word. He's saying we have to be alert. We have to stay awake in all perseverance. As one author put it in, modern, uh, in our time, constant vigilance. That's the idea. Constant vigilance, always on guard, always on call in prayer, always poised in prayer. Like a softball or a baseball infield, uh, infield uh, position, always knees bent, right? Knees bent, eyes on home plate, you're always ready. You don't want the ball coming at you standing right, with your knees locked and your arms crossed, right? Or, or picking dandelions in the outfield like T-ball, right? Knees bent, eye on the plate, poised. That's what Paul is saying, keeping alert with all perseverance. So Paul's tactics for prayer are very subtle, but when they are used with persistence, they're quite effective, he's saying. It was James who said, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much in the old King James. is really effective, in other words. But tactics alone won't do the job, right? You need the right tactics, but you need a good strategy. Okay, so the strategy of our prayer offensive is really two-pronged. We're going to talk about two prongs, and here's what they are. Paul says, pray for the saints and pray for me. Those are the two prongs of his prayer strategy, making supplication for all the saints, he goes on to say. We pray as individual Christians, but also as a church, we pray that believers in 
all places, in all places, will glorify God and do his will, will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We pray that believers in all places will be able to resist the devil, as we talked about last week, and flourish. And this, get, this has a benefit to us. The benefit is praying this way for all the saints at all times, it gets you out of your own mind and, and your individual situation, yeah? It gets you out of your small circumstances and your small lives and your own minds so that you remember this is no individual's army. It's not your war against the powers of darkness. It's our war. It's God's cosmic battle, and nobody is an individual soldier in their own war. We're all together. We're part of a spiritual force that God has put together. So listen, this is really important. Don't let, don't let your family prayers or your personal prayers or even your prayers in your community groups when you meet during the week, don't let them be inwardly focused only. Don't let them simply be about you and your problems and your concerns and what's coming up in your life. Don't ever let it simply be praying for the group, praying for yourself, praying for your family. And if you see that's beginning to happen in your family or, or in your community group, you gotta, you gotta make some adjustments. It can't just be about you and yourselves. We don't pray that way. That's not praying strategically. It's important, but it's only part of the battle. But Paul goes on, not only making supplication for all the saints, he says in verse 19, and pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So, so if you're a Christian, you understand that the gospel, right, Jesus coming to save sinners from their sins by dying in their place and rising from the dead, and that's a simple version of it. But the gospel is, even though it is simple and plain, it is not comprehended by everyone, is it? It is not perceived and understood internally by everyone. The people of this world, as Jesus showed us, are distracted. It's not an issue of, of intelligence. It, it, it's not that. It, it's an issue of distraction. People are always distracted so that they cannot comprehend and digest and embrace the gospel. They're distracted by their own arrogance and pride. They think they don't need it. They're distracted by busyness. There's too much to do. There's so much to think about and pay for and, and work for. And as Jesus said, the cares of this world crowd out the message of the gospel of God's forgiveness and reconciliation so that people cannot understand what is plainly being said, what is plainly being demonstrated. And even this phenomenon people's inability to comprehend and believe the gospel, even this is not just an intellectual or circumstantial or political problem. It's ultimately a spiritual problem, is what Paul has try been trying to impress upon us. He had said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this world, he means, he means Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. This is why... A prayer offensive is so important because the issue is not between flesh and blood but, but between spiritual powers, as he said in the last, the last passage. That is why we pray for those who proclaim the gospel, 
who teach the gospel and the word of God, who write about the gospel and the word of God and spiritual truth and doctrinal truth. This is why we pray for them so that they will be confident in their message, so that they will be clear, and so that they will be effective in bringing the message of the gospel to people in our society and around the world. And that also has a benefit to you because it keeps your mind focused on the greater need of the greatest conflict. There are many needs, but that is the greatest need. So don't prioritize your prayers about politics and the culture war and our society above people's need for the gospel. All those things are important, but they pale in comparison to a person's need to recognize their rebellion and their disconnectedness to their creator and seek him for repentance and reconciliation. That is the greatest need on the planet for humanity. And don't let anything in your life as important as it is become a priority over the need for people to hear the gospel. We need to adopt a strategic and persevering prayer posture as a church, and you need to have that as a Christian if you're a Christ follower. Are your ministry teams, you know, because we basically have an extremely small staff, so most of what's done around here is volunteer-based, and we have lots of ministry teams. Ask yourself a question. Is your ministry team praying together like this? Is your community group praying together like this? If not, you are fighting in the strength of your own might. Remember what Paul said last week? Stand in the strength of God's might. If you are not approaching prayer this way as a team and as a small group, you are fighting, you are serving, you are working for the Lord in the strength of your own might. Why do you think Paul is emphasizing prayer despite all of that armor, right? The shoes, the sword, the shield, all of this amazing stuff. We can do a sermon on every single one of those pieces of armor, right? But but, but despite all of that, he spends the most time out of any individual piece of equipment, he spends the most time talking about prayer. Why is that? He had all this cool nifty stuff, including the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and yet he spends more time talking about prayer. Why is that? I think because prayer is the only posture that keeps us humble and locked in. Because you know, you know how many people in the world and maybe in your own life have used the sword of the spirit, not defensively, but as a weapon against you, right? It happens all the time, doesn't it? People can use the sword of the spirit as a weapon against people in their own lives. But it's really hard to use prayer as a weapon against people. Because true prayer, spirit-led prayer, makes us humble and supplicant. Without spirit-led prayer, you will serve in this church. You will serve in any, any place in your life. You are going to serve in your own strength. Without spirit-filled pl- prayer, you will get burnt out because you'll be serving in your own strength and you'll be giving what you don't have, what only God has. And that's what will lead to burnout, Parker Palmer said once. Without spiritual-led prayer, not only will that happen, but you will serve for the wrong reasons. Not only in your own strength, but for the wrong reasons. And you know what? If it goes great, you're going to be prideful. If you serve for the wrong reasons and things go well, you will be proud of yourself. 
But if you serve for the wrong reasons and it goes poorly, you're going to be ashamed, you're going to be frustrated and angry and maybe completely disenfranchised with the whole thing because you're serving for the wrong reasons and in the strength of your own might. So beware of that. But listen, spirit-filled prayer, we'll end with this, spirit-filled prayer will prove to have been effective in the end. And here's what I mean. Paul's, Paul's apparent failure led to his own imprisonment. And he points this out, doesn't he, in verse 20. Talking about the gospel, he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Remember, he's under house arrest in Rome. He's writing to them from the world's perspective as a failure locked up in prison. But Paul didn't see it that way. And history doesn't see it that way. I mean, heck, he wrote Ephesians in prison. We wouldn't be talking today if he weren't in prison writing this letter to the churches around Ephesus and many other letters of the New Testament. He said to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And Paul said, that's what I have preached in my gospel, suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But then he goes, is one of the best but dot, dot, dot phrases in the New Testament, but the word of God is not bound. You see that? You see the faith? You see the promise of effectiveness in our prayers of persistent strategy is that we may be chained up, we may be locked in our rooms, we may be, we may be stuck in traffic, we may be suffering with cancer or depression, we may be out of work, but the word of God is not bound. And so Oswald Chambers would go on to write, never allow yourself this thought. I am of no use where I am. We must never think that way, no matter the circumstance. An elderly woman in our last church became very close friends with Becky uh, and myself and our family. Uh, her name was Mildred, and probably for at least the last 10 years of her life, Mildred was basically wheelchair-bound. She was always in a wheelchair. I, I never saw her outside of her wheelchair in, in the 12 years I knew her before she died. Now, now in one sense, obviously, her immobility uh, was an aspect of sin's curse, the fall, on her body, right? But those of us who knew her understood that being bound in a wheelchair in a spiritual way was actually a gift. It was a gift to her and everybody she knew because in the confines of that wheelchair, Mildred waged war for the kingdom of God. She had a powerful prayer life, a consistent prayer life. And you better believe it was subtle because the rest of the world had no idea she was praying. She was a wheelchair in her house. But she waged war from her wheelchair. She prayed for everybody she knew. She prayed for me. She prayed for people in their ministry, in their homes, in their families, at their work. She prayed basically for every church she had ever come in contact with. And so again, I'll quote Oswald Chambers who said, when you labor at prayer, from God's perspective, there are always results. What an astonishment it will be to see once the veil is finally lifted, all the souls that have been reaped by you 
simply because you have been in the habit, and here's the military language, of taking your orders from Jesus Christ. You know, Christ's prayer on the cross while he hung there and died for you was not Christ's prayer that the Father would forgive? Was that not answered? Did Christ's prayer on the cross for forgiveness not prove effective? You're here today. You're forgiven today. And if not, you should ask for forgiveness. Has Christ's prayer not been answered? So, don't assume that your prayers of faith will prove ineffective in the end. You can assume that your prayers of persistence, of strategy, will in the end be revealed to have made the difference in many lives, maybe in your own. Strategic, persevering prayer is the church's great offense in spiritual conflict. Let's remember that. Prayer is critical because it supports the saints and it promotes the gospel. So adopt a strategic, persevering prayer posture and let's do that as a church. Let's remember that in our ministry teams and in everything we do. Is prayer a part of it? Are we praying without ceasing in every aspect of our ministry as a church? And may that be the case in our lives as well. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you that Jesus has never asked us to do anything in battle that he has not already done himself. We thank you that we have a praying Savior who not only prayed that Peter and the apostles would be spared, but, but even prayed for us, that we would be united someday, that we would be forgiven. And Lord, thank you. We ask that in Jesus' name, we would trust his spirit to guide us in prayer in all things. Father, give us a strategic and perseverant prayer approach as a church. Amen.